Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. Let's talk about aging. It's inevitable, right? But what if I told you there's a new way to age led by Solgar Cellular Nutrition? They believe, and I do too, that you can transform the way you age cell by cell with the power of cellular nutrition. As we age, our cellular function declines. Your regular multivitamins and minerals might not be enough to combat these age-related declines, and that's where Solgar Cellular Nutrition comes in. It's formulated with targeted cellular nutrients that work with your body's natural processes deep inside your cells to help you fight cellular decline and promote cell health across three benefit areas. It supports cell energy, repair, and vitality, muscle strength, and even glutathione production to help protect cells. So let's own our healthy aging narrative. Visit CellularNutrition.Solgar.com to learn more. Again, that's CellularNutrition.Solgar.com to learn more. Solgar Cellular Nutrition. We go cell deep. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Go back to the global financial crisis. We go back to 2005. We go back to Jackson Hole, Wyoming in August well-known fly fishing location where all the central bankers of the world are meeting and an Indian electrical engineer who's a vegetarian who loves reading Tolkien turns up and tells the central bankers of the world on a Saturday morning at about 10.15 that the global financial plumbing system is backed up and about to explode. And this person, Dr. Rajan, was ignored, ridiculed, castigated by all the central bankers who knew better and yet his paper was exactly what was wrong and broken with the system and if people would have listened to him maybe the global financial crisis didn't cost us trillions of dollars and millions of jobs lost around the world in those decades and for a lot of us when we're listening for the unsaid we're not listening to others because we go, we're not listening to you because you come from a different profession. Or we're not listening to you because you come from a different culture. Or we're not listening to you because the prevailing dogma of the time, you know, we're all very powerful central bankers and we know better than you. We ignore and ridicule people. So the other element of the unsaid is our filters that we apply when we ignore people when they say something as if we put a physical hand up, we put a mental hand up and go, that idea doesn't matter or that idea isn't relevant to me. We ignore what's unsaid at our peril because sometimes truth comes from outside the prevailing wisdom and in our ability not to hear it, 
comes with huge consequential costs. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. Hey, it's Srini. So I just want to tell you how much I appreciate the fact that you're listening to the show. And if you found the podcast fascinating, instructive, inspiring, or maybe even heartwarming, if there's one person you could think of who would appreciate our show, a friend or a family member, take a moment and share the show with them because good ideas are meant to be shared. Well, Oscar, welcome back for part two of our conversation about deep listening. I think it's fitting that uh, our conversation about deep listening ended up being so long that we had to do it in two parts. So we were finishing up last time by talking uh, about listening to yourself. And the next component of this, I know that is part of this model of deep listening is listening to content, which, you know, we were just joking here how meta that is because of the fact that people are listening to content. And I think for me, as somebody who hosts a podcast, I think a lot about how people listen to content. So I I wonder what your work has shown about this. Like, what is it that enables us to get the most out of what we're listening to, whether it is a conversation that we're having with another person or somebody listening to this podcast? We talked about listening in black and white, and most people, listen here at level two in black and white to content and content only. They listen to letters, they listen to words, they listen to stories and and they try and pull it together through what they're hearing. But listening to the content is about seeing and sensing as well. So for a lot of us in conversation – the, the most important thing we want to do is keep all the distractions out so we can listen to the content. And most of us, as long as our eyes are at the eye level of the person we're speaking to, that makes it a productive conversation from listening to the content. That doesn't hold true, though, if you're listening to children. So for a lot of parents, they tend to stand over their children and tell them to listen. But if I could give you one tip, it would be bring your eye level down to their eye level or bring their eye level up to your eye level so you're looking them in the eyes. And that's true whether it's face-to-face or whether you're doing, uh, you're, you might be traveling and you need to call your children or FaceTime your children. If, if they're at the equivalent height of you kneeling down or squatting down or sitting down on the floor, that's going to give you a great way to bring your state of consciousness to listen to their content in the way they're explaining it. So for a lot of us, we're not even conscious of being at eye level when it comes to kids or uh, equally mm-hmm. on the other side of life as well. When you're listening to people who might be older and they might be sitting in chairs a lot or they might be lying in bed a lot, just be conscious that your eyes are at their eye level. Uh, I spent some time interviewing a palliative care nurse who deals with families as they deal with end-of-life issues with their parents, for example. And the biggest frustration she notices in people who are towards the end of their life and can't talk is they can hear perfectly well and their eyes give away their frustration as people are talking over the top of the bed, for example. So she always says they should be sitting down at their eye level. So for a lot of us, just be conscious that when we're listening for the content, let's, let's make sure eye level to eye level 
that means our ears are at ear level to each other, then start start to see yeah. what is the incongruency in their body language, not what is their body language. There's a lot of hocus pocus when it comes to body language. You know, if my arms are folded, mm. I'm defensive. It's true, but I could be sitting under an air conditioning duct and it's really cold. So make sure that it's about congruency between what they say and what they're showing us. I've interviewed a number of people who work with the judicial system and law enforcement who who are kind of the human lie detectors, and they're always looking for patterns of three things that are giving away what the incongruency is between what people are saying and what they're doing. So it's not just that their arms are folded, it might be their arms are folded, they're scrunching their lips, their face turns a, a particular way when they mention a particular topic. But for a lot of us, when we're stuck in laptops and iPads and cell phones, we can't even notice what people are giving us with their face because we're not eye to eye in our in our listening. And the third one is about sensing. Yeah. How do we sense, how do we connect with people to notice the change in their state, not just their body language? So a change in state is typically preempted by a deep breath or a holding of the breath or the spine moving to a different position than what it was previously. So they might have been slouching forward before and all of a sudden their spine comes up or the opposite, their spine's been up for the whole conversation all of a sudden it comes down. So there's three dimensions for listening at content and what you hear is only one dimension of that. Yeah. So I wonder, I'm just thinking about this in terms of human intimacy, not just uh, you know from a romantic context, but even with friends. Mm. What is the impact emotionally on another person when it comes to listening, when you're making eye contact with them? Do the words resonate on a different level? What you're sending a signal to that person is, I'm paying you attention. You matter. What I'm about to hear is worth hearing. And if I was to step back into maybe what's happening in terms of chemical releases in the brain, I reckon that's a dopamine hit for a lot of these people to go, wow, they're paying attention. That's nice. I'm enjoying this. Ooh, that's a feeling I don't feel often as opposed to a fight or flight reaction when they're not listening to me. And, and, and that might release different chemicals in the body to get you into a state of shutdown because you need all your human faculties to get into fight or flight mode. So I think for a lot of us, the act of giving attention, a much higher state of awareness than paying attention. Paying attention sounds like it's a tax. It, sound, it sounds like it's a tax you have to pay uh, to get my attention because I'm more important than you. But to give away attention is a gift to them. And in that moment, they'll receive that gift and be present with you as well. And it opens up the conversation. They'll feel more comfortable in saying things that maybe have been risky for them to say in the past, but they feel comfortable now because it's a more connected experience for them. There is more trust. There is more connection because I know that person isn't distracted with their own agenda. You know, what about in the context like the one you and I are interacting now, uh, both from mm -hmm. the standpoint of you and I having this conversation as well as the people listening to this? Because we can't see each other. And 
the beautiful thing about this dialogue is it's so much more intimate because you only have the visual, you don't have the visual, you only have the audio to work with. So what we're listening to a lot more is the length of the sentence. We're listening more to where the vocal patterns are starting from as well. If I moved out into this state and start to come down a bit further in my throat, I've actually created curiosity for the person who's going, oh, I've noticed what they said, but how they said it is even more interesting to me as well. So in listening to podcasts, the ones that connect us the most are typically ones not only we don't have the visual element, but we're also curious about emotional tension, whether that's emotional tension about what the tension is between the speaker and the host, or what the tension is for the person speaking about that topic. For humans, if I'm speaking at a more emotional level without the visual element, I'm going to create greater connection to the story but if i'm just reciting a bunch of dry statistics it's difficult for me to stay connected with you listening right now that's why i'm deliberate to use a mix of stories as well as statistics stories about success as well as stories about failure because we want to show that in listening to me we're just listening to another human with lots of faults And although my practice is about deep listening, I know I'm far from a deep listening expert and I'll spend a lot of time talking to the audience about what I struggle with as much as what I'm successful with too. Hmm. So one of the things that you wrote in the book uh, was you said it's in the pause where you start to notice what someone's intention is. A pause moves the speaker from a place of thinking that you're listening to a place where they feel heard. And the reason that struck me is because I have had moments where I've had people on the podcast where for five or six seconds, neither of us will say anything. And I've talked to other people who have talked about this and that silence can feel deafening for many, many interviewers. I've noticed this. But I also know from experience that if I just shut the hell up, what comes after that will be the most provocative and riveting parts of every conversation I ever have. Yes. So Terry Gross is one of my kind of superheroes when it comes to an interviewer who listens really well. And Terry uses really short sentences and uh, asks really precise questions and uses silence really well. For a lot of us, you know, we have this awkward relationship with silence. You just use the term the deafening silence. And uh, silence is just the opportunity for us to send a signal to the speaker. I'm not going to verbally assault you with an interruption. Again, it's creating a space where they're more comfortable saying what's on their mind than saying the first thing that comes out of their head. So for a lot of us, we, we want to be heard and the silence is the space for us, not only for the listener to hear us, but for us to hear ourselves. Because a lot of the time, the first time we say something that comes out of our mouth, it kind of sounds like rubbish. Um, it's just what we're thinking in the moment. Unless we're an actor and we've got a set of script that we're rehearsed from and we know how to say it the first time. But for most of us in most conversations, particularly as it relates to dealing with complexity, complexity in the workplace, complexity with relationships, 
how we say it the first time is unlikely to be the way we think about it. So we need to help the speaker along that journey and the pause just lets them draw a breath and typically they'll say, Trina, you know what? I haven't told you, blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden the conversation moves 90 degrees. Well, they'll draw breath and they'll say, hmm, actually, it's okay with you, I'd like to say it differently. Or, it's okay with you, there's something more important we need to discuss. Yet we'll never get there if we don't allow silence to do the heavy lifting because silence lets the speaker's mind catch up with their mouth. Let's talk about context. Uh, how do we... How do you define context in terms of deep listening? Again, context has got a number of dimensions around it. The first one and the most significant one, if people just took the time to understand the backstory, will create a much better context. Most of us would never dream of going to the movie theater 20 minutes in sitting in a chair and going, hmm, I wonder what that character's about. Hmm, they seem to have a relationship. I wonder how that started. And yet most of us in a conversation, that's how we show up. We allow the speaker to start 20 minutes into the meeting, into the movie, rather than saying, Trini, do you mind just, where did this all start? Or how long have you been thinking about this? And in creating that backstory, it's interesting for you, but it's more productive for them. Whether they've been thinking about it for five minutes, five months, or five years, that in itself is a rich piece of understanding that will help them ultimately get to meaning at level five. Most of us don't take the time to get the backstory or are too proud to ask for the backstory because a story we make up is, I'm pretty smart. If I stay in this conversation for another five minutes, I'm sure I can join the dots together. And while you're doing that, you're not actually listening. You're trying to join the dots of the history and the past. So one of the levels of context is the ability for everybody to know where this started because it gives us a context of where we need to go. The other elements of context are really about patterns. Am I noticing how they speak about this? Are they speaking about it always in a future state? Or are they talking about it in the past tense? Are they talking about it as it relates to a problem? Or are they talking about it as it relates to a solution? Are they talking about it as it relates to them as an individual? Or does it talk about them as it relates to others? Do they adopt a very internal perspective or do they adopt a very external perspective? Do they speak in details or do they speak in big pictures and big stories? If you start to notice how they speak about this topic, you'll also understand where they are in that journey around making sense of what they mean. An example might be if they're consistently stuck in the past and you're trying to help them to get to the future, the most important thing you might need to do is help them to acknowledge that they need to leave something in the past behind to make progress into the future. Yet many of us might be future orientated and going, how the heck do I drag this person out of their past and into the future? 
you're talking to your preference, not to theirs. So a lot of it's about pattern noticing as well. So make sure you got the backstory and make sure you understand what patterns they're talking to, because then that can help you understand what questions will be productive for them as well. So listening to the context, as we talked about with the 125-400 rule, is another way to listen to those extra 300 words. Now you're not only listening to what they're saying, you're starting to listen to how they're saying it as well. Hmm. What about people who are in our lives that are difficult? I think that every one of us have people who push our buttons and, you know, <laughs> the, the, you know, we tend to like throw our arms up in frustration and say, okay, yeah, you don't listen. And, you know, it's funny because uh, my dad is like a Zen Buddhist. He's the kindest person in the world. He's the most self-actualized man in the world who doesn't know a damn thing about it. He probably doesn't even know what self-actualization means. Uh, but it's really amusing. There are small things that he doesn't remember. Uh, like, you know, for years, he's always, he would come home and, and, you know, he'd ask my sister, do you want a banana? And I'm like, she's 35 years old. How do you not know she hates bananas? <laughs> you know, it's just amusing things like that. Mm. But, um, you know, and, and that I don't think is, is, you know, contentious, but what, what I mean is, you know, how do we deal with people who are difficult or who push our buttons and we feel that we can't get through to, um, when it comes to this? I guess there's always to notice your orientation, you know, for, for us to get through to means the orientations from you rather than from them. So yeah. our, our language will always give it away. And, you know, the one of the most difficult people we have to deal with most of the time is ourselves and our own self-talk and noticing and listening to our own self-talk is why we spend so much time at level one. And I guess the question I would ask you is, can you live with it? Yeah. <laughs> So for a lot of time, we make up stories that drive us completely around the bend. We get furious about a situation. And the question is, can we live with it? You know, I don't enjoy not too dissimilar uh, experience with my dad on the opposite end of the spectrum. You know, my dad's the kind of guy who loves to shout at the radio and tell them why they're wrong. (laughs) And for years, I got really frustrated by that. And I just went, you know what? My dad's not going to change. And the only person who's getting worked up about this is not me. Sorry, it's not him, it's me. So can I live with it is a beautiful phrase one of my past teachers taught me. And it became so liberating because sometimes we we just bend ourselves into a shape around, well, I, I can live with that. And that's his story. That's not my story. So can I live with that is the question I ask myself more often than I need to, I guess. Yeah. Um, sometimes I get frustrated by asking myself the question, can I live with that? Because the answer is no. And then, you know, that, that becomes a different kind of discussion. And it's a discussion I need to have with the other person about what I'm noticing about myself when they're doing this particular thing. Let's talk about aging. It's inevitable, right? But what if I told you there's a new way to age? led by Solgar Cellular Nutrition. They believe, and I do too, that you can transform the way you age cell by cell with the power of cellular nutrition. As we age, our cellular function declines. Your regular multivitamins and minerals might not be enough to combat these age-related declines, and that's where Solgar Cellular Nutrition comes in. It's formulated with targeted cellular nutrients that work with your body's natural processes deep inside your cells to help you fight cellular decline and promote cell health across three benefit areas. It supports cell energy, repair, and vitality, muscle strength, and even glutathione production to help protect cells. So let's 
own our healthy aging narrative. Visit CellularNutrition.Solgar.com to learn more. Again, that's CellularNutrition.Solgar.com to learn more. Solgar Cellular Nutrition. We go cell deep. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. So I have to ask you, having had this experience and having this sort of uh, background in deep listening and having gone through sort of becoming the person that you are, do you struggle with things like depression and anxiety and, and self-esteem and you know self-doubt? Every day. <laughs> you know, I've given myself a quest of 100 million deep listeners and, uh, you know, that's a big struggle. Uh, equally, I had that struggle about other things when I'm an intergalactic Microsoft marketing director and before that as a product lead and leading a whole bunch of product engineers in a telecommunications company or when I decided to sign up for a, my first marathon or my first ocean swim. Uh, all those things are real struggles for me, and uh, I, I'll just be honest. <laughs> wow. Uh, well, let's talk about un the things that are unsaid and meaning. Um, what does that all mean? Like, what is that in the context of, or how does that apply in the context of deep listening? If we go back to the 125 900 rule, which basically says I speak at 125 words a minute. I have 900 words a minute on average locked up in my head that I'm trying to say. Listening to the unsaid will unlock those other 800 words for people. Your role as a listener is to help them make sense of what they're thinking, not to make sense of it for you. It's not your job to say, what does this mean for me? That might be handy. But what we want to do is make a productive for that listener, sorry, for that speaker while you're listening to them. A lot of the time, it's just giving them the space. This is where silence becomes such a potent tool. And those very simple questions such as tell me more or what else or how long have you been thinking about this, that will start to unpick what is ultimately unsaid. And in exploring what is unsaid this is where things seem to take a little bit longer at the beginning but gain us so much more time back at the end my promise to everybody who works with me on training courses is i said i get you four hours a week back in your schedule at work because you won't be repeating things or going back and re-explaining things that you've explained in the past because you weren't listening or people weren't listening Every project that's ever run over schedule in a workplace, everyone that's ever run over budget or everyone that's ever delivered something that the end users didn't want is because people weren't listening. But it's not just listening to what was said, it was also not taking the time to listen to what's unsaid. We go back to the global financial crisis. We go back to 2005. We go back to Jackson Hole, Wyoming in August, well-known fly fishing location where all the central bankers of the world are meeting. And an Indian electrical engineer who's a vegetarian who loves reading Tolkien turns up and tells the central bankers of the world on a Saturday morning at about 10.15 that the global financial plumbing system is backed up and about to explode. 
And this person, Dr. Rajan, was ignored, ridiculed, castigated by all the central bankers who knew better, and yet his paper was exactly what was wrong and broken with the system. And if people would have listened to him, maybe the global financial crisis didn't cost us trillions of dollars and millions of jobs lost around the world in those decades. And for a lot of us, when we're listening for the unsaid, we're not listening to others because we go, we're not listening to you because you come from a different profession. Well, we're not listening to you because you come from a different culture. Well, we're not listening to you because the prevailing dogma of the time, you know, we're all very powerful central bankers and we know better than you. We ignore and ridicule people. So the other element of the unsaid is our filters that we apply when we ignore people when they say something as if we put a physical hand up, we put a mental hand up and go, that idea doesn't matter or that idea isn't relevant to me. We ignore what's unsaid at our peril because sometimes truth comes from outside the prevailing wisdom and in our ability not to hear it comes with huge consequential costs. Mm. Wow. So you've mentioned that people come to you and they end up saving time uh, by not having to repeat things they've said. What are the other changes that you've seen in people's lives? I, I think that to me, the, the fabulous fascinating one was the the person who you told me about who, you know, he said his marriage almost ended because his wife thought he was having an affair. Um, I was like, I, I, yeah. Yeah. I, and to me, I can't help but believe that people who are, you know, having dating situations wouldn't be contacting you in abundance, probably because that's just <laughs> not where my head goes to is like, oh, this guy sounds like he'd be an ideal dating coach for people. Um, mm. I'm curious, what are the other contexts in which you've seen this play out um, in terms of real meaningful change in people's lives? As we look at it through like the lens of the workplace and, and the lens of the home place, one of the things in the workplace is employees give more discretionary effort when they feel like their manager notices them. We all hear the statistics that people leave their manager, not their organisation. And the number one reason why people leave their managers is because they don't feel their managers take the time to listen to them. And sometimes that's as simple as not even meeting with them to have a conversation about how's it going. So the people who enjoy these benefits the most are quite often leaders and their employees where they enjoy relationship, where it's easier to speak up because you feel you're going to be listened to. Uh, There's less chance of being blindsided in these organizations because the truth emerges much more rapidly because people feel that what they say is not only going to be heard and listened to and actioned. So as a result of that, you get a higher performing system because the feedback loop is much tighter between action, listening, change, action, listening, change. So in the workplace, that plays out with better relationships inside the workplace, but equally plays out with better relationships with customers, with the media, with regulators, because you're having the right kinds of conversations on the things that are unsaid for the home life. Is just the kinds of conversations we normally don't have, we're taking time to have them. We might go and walk around the block. We might walk in a park and, and have the conversation there. But we, we take the time to listen to each other rather than just take the time to speak to each other while our days are going on around us and then completely collapse inside 
living room chairs or anywhere else when the day's over and we don't have enough energy to give to each other. So we're not listening for those things that aren't said. And equally for the next generation or the previous generation, we're enjoying relationships where we can speak the truth with a great amount of care and compassion for the other person and knowing that what we say matters to them and will be heard. So we'll have richer relationships in our family life as well as what we have in our work life. That's the other one that people often comment on. So we've talked about it in the context of, of richer relationships. Let's look at this from a very tactical perspective. Let's say that I want to go into my next meeting with somebody on my team and be better at this. You know, I, I know that this is something I struggle with. So I, I wonder, you know, how can I be more effective when it comes to deep listening? So when I have a team meeting, for the example, the first thing you want to ask yourself the question is the depending on what you want to discuss, is the team meeting the right way to do it more? Is it better as a one-on-one or is it better as a group meeting? So that's the first question you need to ask yourself for the outcome, who needs to be in the meeting. The, the next question is where would be a productive place for the meeting? For some people, they just default to a meeting room or they default to a phone call. Um, for some people, they've talked to me that some of the most productive discussions they've ever had with their manager is walking in a busy street or walking uh, to uh, a park in a in a city location, or it could be a coffee shop. It doesn't matter. What we need to do as leaders is to go, where would this discussion be the most productive for what I'm trying to achieve as well as the person who's in the discussion? But a lot of people just default into a meeting room. And if you don't have a choice of a park or a coffee shop or a cafeteria or anywhere else that might break up the way people relate to distractions is ask yourself this question, do I need to have a meeting room with tables Can I just have a meeting with people sitting in chairs? Some of the most effective listening meetings I've had is with people sitting with no chairs, just sitting on the floor and looking at each other. So for a lot of us as leaders, before we even get to the conversation, we need to spend a lot more time thinking about the physical location of where we're going to have the conversation and is that aligned to what we're trying to achieve. For some leaders, uh, you may get a more productive outcome with three people standing up in a cafeteria than it is to go to a meeting room. It depends on what the purpose of the meeting is. And then in the meeting, the manager, the leader, you're the listening role model for the room. You're setting up the state about what's acceptable when it comes to listening. So in that moment when somebody interrupts somebody, what have you done to create that and what could you do to make sure that it's a productive interruption versus an unproductive interruption. So you might ask people to explore today, thinking more about how they're having the discussion as well as what they're discussing. Thinking about, you know, some people use this thing called the talking stick where they literally, you can't talk until somebody passes the stick to you. Uh, That works in some systems. For me, I think that kind of tells people, hey, you're a child and here's a stick and you play by my rules. I don't think it sets everyone up as fully expressed adults. I think it kind of also doesn't allow the conversation to be organic. 
But in systems where interruption's a big issue, that can be productive and I wouldn't um, say that it's a poor idea. So again, anything we can do to remove physical barriers between the speakers and the listeners will make the conversation more productive. Okay. So getting getting to the physicality of the conversation is just as important about what we discuss. So let's take this into a personal context. Of course, I'm basically using <laughs> your advice for my own dating life. In that case, what would be an ideal place to go for a date? Or, or you know, how do we create an ideal deep listening environment for either a date or a conversation with a family member? Yeah, well, uh, I can't remember how long it's been since I've been on the dating scene. So the, the question <laughs> you might want to you might want to want to pose there is uh, thinking what signal a location might be sending to the person you're dating. Yeah, that's that's something you can think about the physicality of your listening as it relates to them. But for family members, there's a, there's an interesting distinction when I think about. Um, the way men listen best and the way uh, women listen best. Women listen really well facing each other, having a conversation, whereas men prefer to have a task and have their eyes actually pointing away from each other, ironically. Um, So, for example, if you've got a teenage son and you want to engage them in a conversation, um, walking around the or around the block is just as productive for them because they don't have to look at you and more importantly they don't get to look at anything else while they're walking so they're distracted um chopping up um vegetables or gardening would be a really productive way to have a conversation with a with a teenage boy compared to a teenage girl Uh, teenage girl face to face um really productive for them so there's even nuances when you start to look at how um how the genders listen differently and how you set up the physical states for them as well. So it's a consciousness. Even that little bit of effort you take to set that up for success is really critical when it comes to listening. Okay, so... so this is kind of <laughs> correct me if I'm wrong. Tell me, you know, like tell me I'm just you know completely out of my mind if I, I use this context. So I think that that example of of gardening or chopping vegetables, a little boy, makes me think. Oh, if I went to a cooking class where I was being forced to use a knife while I was talking to somebody on a date, I would be better at listening to them because I'm male. Is that or did I just totally you know mix up causation and correlation there? If you're on a date with another guy, probably yeah. <laughs> okay. Maybe now, but on a date with another woman, you would say probably not, right? Yeah, it's, it's a face to face. Okay, it's over a over a coffee, over a meal, where you can see each other's eyes. Okay, got it. Noted. Wow, uh, this has been really, really fascinating. Uh, I'd love this because there's so many things here that are going through my head in terms of all these areas of my life where I feel like I could apply everything that you've taught us. I mean, this feels applicable to so many different domains of life. It is. uh, All the research we've done is in the workplace. So I always say, be careful how you apply it in in the home (laughs) place. And, And the reason I've extended the kind of work I do in terms of the thinking about and the researching about it is the questions I always get asked from stage are the the ones you just asked, you know, how do I get my wife to listen? How do I get my kids to listen? How do I get my parents to listen to me? These are very common practical problems or I'm a good listener, my wife isn't, what could I teach her? 
is a is another one that <laughs> that I hear. Or my husband's a terrible listener. How do I teach him how to listen? Uh, all those are answered by your already teaching them how to listen by your role modeling. How you're role modeling listening to them. So never underestimate yeah. how powerful your role is as it relates to listening in the things that you're actually doing. Because if you're at that higher state of awareness, you've listened to this podcast, you know what good listening looks like, just in showing up and being present, giving them your full mm. and undivided attention, you will create a state and a place for them to start to go, wow, I've noticed something's different and they will start to try that themselves. Wow. Well, I have one last question for you, which is how we finish all of our interviews at The Unmistakable Creative. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? To make something unmistakable makes me stop in my tracks and shake me out of my current line of thinking and ask myself the question, wow, how do I learn what that is and how can that person help me change my mind because what they've just said or done or shown us is so unmistakable that I want to change what I do as a result. So for me, it's more about how they are being, like what's their whole body as well as their words saying rather than, you know, they're very charismatic and they're saying something powerful. Yeah, that can change my mind. But if they're doing that in an incongruent way, it's, yeah, it's not unmistakable to me. But where somebody's truly expressing who they are without fear, with courage, with all the mistakes that they could make, that, that's unmistakable to me. And that often is what stops me in my track to go, wow, mm -hmm. I get a bit more of that. Well, um, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us and uh, share your story and your insights with our listeners. This has really, really been uh, breathtaking. So where can people find out more about you, your work, uh, your books, and everything else that you're up to? Yeah, I'll try and make it really simple. Just go to one place to get the books, the playing cards, the jigsaw puzzles, the podcasts, <laughs> the, the listening quiz to find out which villains you might be, uh, listeningmyths.com is the place you can go and at listeningmyths.com that will kind of tell you really quickly the five most common myths of listening yet more importantly what to do about each of them in a really practical way immediately not something you have to practice for 28 days or 90 days or something that you can do immediately so listeningmyths.com Shreeni amazing and for everybody listening <laughs> no pun intended we'll wrap the show with that Thank you for listening to this episode of the Unmistakable Creative Podcast. While you were listening, were there any moments you found fascinating, inspiring, instructive, maybe even heartwarming? Can you think of anyone, a friend or a family member who would appreciate this moment? If so, take a second and share today's episode with that one person because good ideas and messages are meant to be shared. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World, and this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch, 
the skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.